This is episode 11 of Functional First Podcast, where we speak with leading experts in the field of functional health. I'm Katie Yamamoto from Functional Media, and today I'm speaking with Scott Barcasio, CEO and co-founder of MyoDetox. Today's episode is part of a special business series for health professionals and business owners in partnership with the Canadian Physiotherapy Association's Private Practice Division. Thank you for letting us interview you today. Can we start by having you introduce yourself? For sure. Uh, so my name is Scott Marcasio. I am the CEO of MyoDetox. We've been around for um, just under three years now. So I've kind of started as a patient in the early days when it was just getting off the ground. Um, my previous life, I was working in telecommunications, so I was dealing with fiber optics and wireless infrastructure and nothing related to the, the physiotherapy industry. And um, as life would have it, now I'm, I'm here and it's been an amazing three years. So we've got uh, just over 100 employees now in uh, eight locations currently. And can you tell us a bit about the origin story of MyoDetox? So I, as I mentioned, I was working in telecom. I was flying back and forth a lot to different countries and I ended up having chronic back pain. And a friend of mine said, oh, you have to go see this guy, he's downtown. He's like the witch doctor, he'll, he'll fix you up. And he was um, referring to Vin Pham, my business partner. So I go to this guy and nothing what I expected. It was all hands-on manual therapy. And I was really impressed with the treatment. And I'd seen a lot of therapists for my back issues. And as we started developing a relationship, he had just started his, his first clinic in downtown Toronto. And his whole goal at that point was to be a teacher and just educate people on kind of the, the different treatment philosophies that he was coming across. Uh, but for me, I'm always very business minded. And I was thinking, you know, you've got something interesting here. Why not try to scale it and create a business around it? So that was October of 2014 that we've kind of set out on this journey. And it was very organic. The first six months, I worked my full time corporate job. And I, at that point, didn't expect it to go more than one or two locations, but social media was a big catalyst for us and sped things up a lot. And as we kept developing the company, then, you know, we got to a point where it just started snowballing and now here we are. So, cool. so as someone who doesn't have a background in healthcare, what's your opin- opinion of the rehab industry? So I had a lot of appreciation for the rehab industry. I grew up personal training. I was in fitness for a long time. So I actually had worked with a lot of therapists before. So it wasn't unfamiliar to me. However, once I had left the industry for a few years and came back into it with kind of a new set of eyes, I think a few things I noticed. One is it's a very entrepreneurial industry. And as physios or a lot of chiros or massage therapists, we don't get a lot of entrepreneurial training. You know, I find there's a lot of mom and pop clinic owners that struggle with the business aspects of things. As an industry, I think we're very reliant on insurance money too, and that makes it so we don't push the business model and push the industry forward and and looking at customer experience and how do we deliver um, something that's more of a pleasant experience than just showing up for your rehab session. So I I found it interesting. I found there's a lot of amazing therapists and clinic owners out there, but I see a lot of them struggle with taking that step into business. And so today we are talking mainly about marketing. Mm So how important is marketing to growing a clinic? I mean, I think it's everything because to me, marketing is, is providing you the fuel to grow the business. And if you're not having new patients consistently being generated, then you're not able to kind of bring your ideas to life. And I think it's kind of an accident how a lot of clinics grow. They're very organic and they just over time get a lot of friends and family referrals, which are the best types of referrals. And that works if you're trying to fill up one or two therapist caseloads. But when you're trying to fill up 30 or 40 or 50 therapist caseloads, you need to be much more 
targeted with your marketing. So my opinion is if you're a business owner and looking to grow, uh, marketing is extremely important. If you're one or two therapists and a small group and trying to get yourself busy, it's not, not as essential. And why focus on brand first? So when I look at physiotherapy, as you said, when I came back in this industry and you know, I'm not from the healthcare industry, I found that there's no product differentiation. So you can look at every single physio place and it's called XYZ Physiotherapy. And then across the street is you know, ABC Physiotherapy. And the average consumer has no idea what the difference is. And oftentimes they don't even know what physiotherapy is. They've just been recommended by their doctor. Or a friend told them, go see this therapist. I think that by focusing on brand first, you start to create a bit of differentiation and you start to create a better position in the market for what you stand for. And you can start to communicate a little bit more uh, uniquely about what you can offer versus the competitor across the street. But I don't see that happening that much in the uh, industry right now. And can you go into a little bit more about what the brand is? Is it all about the logo and the name or? So, so it's what? interesting. I, I spoke about this at Accelerate and one of the titles of my slides was your logo is 1% of your brand. And I think for healthcare professionals when they're coming into being business owners, that's what they think it is. They think, okay, I'm going to get this nice logo done up. I'll get my business cards. I'm going to make sure my website's very nicely branded. But the reality is your brand is everything that that customer ever experiences with you. So the minute they walk in the door, how your staff greet them, how the treatment room's laid out, every single aspect of that, and I would argue it has a bigger impact than just your logo, down to the brand communication you know, and your marketing. How are you actually talking to your, your potential customers? So if, a good example is for us, we made a big decision that we want to be a very aspirational brand, like a Nike or like an Equinox. So in our marketing, we don't talk about fixing your pain. We don't talk about you know, a lot of the negative stuff, which was more fear-focused. And it's actually a much more proven uh, marketing method to use is more fear-based. For us, we said, okay, that doesn't align with the brand that we're trying to build over time. So we're going to be more aspirational. For example, our, our tagline is future-proof your body. And the reason our tagline is that because we're we're trying to make people realize that it doesn't matter if you're 30 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old, you can still improve and create kind of a better version of yourself versus, yeah, let's just get you back to normal. So for a clinician who wants to start their own clinic, yeah. what advice do you have on where they should start and on the branding and marketing aspect of that? So my very first piece of advice would be really gut check yourself to make sure you're ready for business ownership. I've met with far too many clinic owners that they jumped in very early and they didn't realize how much, not only money and time it takes to build a business, but also the sense of responsibility and amount of mental energy it takes to manage a team. And sometimes when you're just one therapist by yourself and you're a rock star, your life at the end of the day may be better sticking to that road and keep developing your skill sets as an individual. However, if you've convinced yourself that you want to start a business, I would say get very clear on who your customer market is, who you're trying to attract. Too many people market to everyone, and that's a quick way to not connect with anyone. So when it comes to brand and marketing, make sure that you're looking outside of the physiotherapy space or the, the, the rehab space in general, and start to look at what brands are doing. And in my opinion, there's just no great reference brands in this physio space that we, you know, when we were building a company, I can look at, I'm not gonna name any company names, but there's no large companies out there that were like, well, this brand is amazing, let's, let's copy everything they're doing. You need to look in like the retail spaces and the fitness spaces, and in spaces where there's a lot more competition because there's no insurance dollars and there's actually some real branding being done. So, you know, narrow your customer segment, figure out what voice you want to speak to and then start to build your brand around something that's going to be catered towards that customer segment. 
And is that to you how a clinic owner can differentiate themselves from everyone else? Yeah, exactly. So pick, pick an area that you feel like, A, you're very passionate about and you have a competitive advantage in. And it comes down to, you know, there's this concept of marketing about building a moat. And if you can become best in the world at one or two things that nobody in your city, let's say, as a physiotherapist is doing, um, you're going to create a very strong business for yourself. And that's why there's these specialty clinics like uh, concussion management or vestibular that do so well because there's very few of them. And then they're catering that marketing to the right people to bring the, the correct audience in. So. And in terms of marketing, do you think that clinics should do their own marketing or hire someone else to do it? That's a great question. I think every time that I've seen a clinic outsource their marketing, it's been a challenge for them because it, a few things to think about. So one, an external marketing agency, they don't have an appreciation for some of the regulatory challenges in the industry, especially with the physiotherapy standards. There's a lot of restrictions and you have to make sure that anyone you have doing your marketing is aware of that. Two, from a customer standpoint, I don't necessarily think that a marketing agency will really understand what sort of customers you're trying to do. So the real answer is it depends. If you are just a complete novice at marketing and you have no idea where to start or anything, it's often useful to hire somebody for the first six to 12 months and really help them build systems for you that you can market around. However, if you are in the community and you've kind of started to create caseloads for your therapist, I think keep pushing in that direction and just be spending more time on it and start to experiment and spend $500 every month experimenting with new marketing methods. And I think that will, over time, build you a much better business versus trying to outsource all of your marketing. I know that MyoDetox uses a lot of social media to mm -hmm. market to their audience. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? For sure. So when we started a few years ago, Instagram was really kind of in its growth phase. And what we found was that educational material would go viral very quickly. You know, we could do videos on how to fix your QL. And while QL is not necessarily like a trending topic in the mainstream, it would get hundreds of thousands of views because of the way we position it and the branding and all that sort of stuff. And also just how we try to dumb all the information down into something that if somebody had no health care background, they could still get it. And they could say, oh, I have that backing. Maybe I'll try this. So we really try to catch on in the phase of people doing self-myofascial release and everyone has a foam roller and all these things. And, and if we can, our mindset at the time was if we can teach people and become the kind of the trusted authority in the space, it's going to go a long way to, to further the, the brand. So we started that. We were the first in the world. Right now we have the largest rehab accounts in the world. And it's interesting now watching every single person copy what we're doing. And now we're really switching away from social and getting into this hyper community space. So we've got some some cool stuff planned over the next few months that has never been done in the rehab space. And for us, that's kind of our next step. Um, social was very good for a couple of years and it's still a, a bedrock of some of the stuff we're doing. But the challenge is when you have an effective marketing method, everybody else runs to catch up. And that's both the blessing and the curse of being kind of pioneers in the social space is you just, the amount of imitation that we see is, is crazy, but it's, it's also a, the best form of flattery as I say, so. Can you talk a little bit about where you're headed now? So in regards to um, the next two years, I have some major aspirations for international expansion. So for example, later this year, we'll be in uh, Dubai, China, Australia, and a few other countries starting to have exploratory meetings on how we can actually enter those spaces. Another example is, um, you know, I've been working a lot with certain medical boards in Africa right now, and we're actually taking some of our therapists over to Africa early next year 
to train um, physical therapists in Nigeria and a few other countries. And this is neat because we're actually getting approvals for continuing education credits in those countries that if our Mahdi Talks therapists go over to train their, any of their licensed therapists, they're starting to get educational credits for that. So we have a lot of aspirations in terms of being at the forefront of educating outside of North America. I think if you look at Africa or India or China, a lot of the physical therapy setup there is 20 to 30 years behind. So we really have to make sure that uh, we can position ourselves as leaders in that space. And then it comes down to community. In every city we go to, whether it's Tokyo, Dubai, you know, Buenos Aires, like we want to make sure that we can kind of set the tone for bringing the community together. And we have a big campaign that I can't unveil yet, but I'm excited that the rest of the year, I think we've got an idea that we can really start bringing together all these, these mom and pop clinic owners, therapists, students. And it's for us, it's a lot less about Mahdi Talks now. It's a lot more about how can we actually impact this industry in a much bigger way and start to start to change the conversations from you know this very transactional nature where people are coming in for just their session and, and start to create a whole experience around inspiring people to be healthier. And you know, for me, I I talk about this with our team all the time. I really feel like physiotherapists, for example, are the best positioned healthcare professionals to be the first point of contact for primary care in terms of there's so many preventable things that physiotherapists can help people with, um, keep them out of the hospitals or kind of keep them living a very healthy life. And you know, looking at the strain on the healthcare system and everything, we have pretty big aspirations for how we can kind of deploy our team of physios to solve those problems. Let's go back to the social media part a little yep. bit. For someone who doesn't have that much time, how would they prioritize the different social media channels out there? For sure. It comes down to engagement. So three or four years ago, Twitter may have been a great platform, but the challenge now is it's very noisy. Your engagement is awful. I would recommend if any of you are looking to participate more in social media, um, Google engagement graphics, and you can see very quickly about you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and some of the other channels and I would say prioritize one or two. And that's it, also where your customers spending their time. For us, because our, our average demographic is between 25 and 40 years old, for the people that are coming into our clinics, predominantly they are on Instagram. That's where they're spending most of their time. That's where they're having the most interactions every single day. Uh, and that's where their engagement is gonna be highest. So we really spent all of our time on there. And that's why we don't even use Twitter because it's just a waste of time for us. So it, uh, it comes down to engagements and making sure that if you do have a limited time, use the one or two platforms where your customers are spending the most time. And besides that online marketing, mm -hmm. what are some other growth, growth strategies that can be employed to grow a business? I'm big on hyper-local. So anything within a kilometer of your clinic, you should be at every single event, you should be t walking every single business, you should be treating the business owners for free, making sure everybody knows you in that community. And I think, uh, especially the younger cohort coming up, we've lost that appreciation for how important going to meet somebody face-to-face -face is. And sure, you can send out direct mail campaigns and you can do Google pay-per-click and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if you become this trusted authority in your community, that's how you'll win in the long term. And for marketing, do you believe that clinics should involve their team in the marketing efforts? Uh, 100%. I think, I think setting the expectations when, you know, I speak to a lot of clinic owners one-on-one and a lot of the frustration comes that they feel their therapists come on board and that they're just waiting to get busy. And I think that starts with you as a clinic owner to speak with your clinicians and set the expectation when you're hiring them that, listen, I'm going to be doing this and here's my expectations of you. And 
you know, whether it is going to community events, whether it is helping out at you know, the local hockey arena, just being a bit of a presence in the community, leading by example and taking. So for example, one of the things we do at My Detox is every month we try to do field trips with our staff. So myself or a couple of the other senior leaders, they'll go to one of our clinics and take four or five of the therapists out and we'll just go walk around the community for three or four hours. We'll get ice cream, like we'll have a lot of fun with it, but we'll like six of us will walk into a business just to introduce ourselves and start to talk to people. And it's a lot of fun, but by doing that, we start teaching these habits to our younger therapists that, hey, this is super easy. If you wanna grow your caseload, here's three things you can do together and you guys can go have fun with it. So I think leading by example, involve your therapist and then give them good tracks to run on. And if you don't know what those tracks are, you need to develop those. And that's your responsibility as a business owner. And from there, then teach your team how to do that. And for therapists who do want to market themselves, do you believe that that should be under the business's brand or under the therapist's own personal brand? I think that a business is made up of individuals and there should be an association. So for example, if you look at all of our therapists, we've got maybe a dozen to 14 of our therapists that are quite active on Instagram, for example. And while they're pushing themselves as individuals, there's always this association with Maudi Talks and they're tagging it. So they're using the hashtag. It's in their biography that they're Maudi Talks therapist. Oftentimes they're linking back to the Maudi Talks website or their own personal booking page on the Maudi Talks booking platform. So there's going to be tied into the company, but at the end of the day, people connect with people, not with companies. And that's why even for us, we've taken the approach on our, our Maudi Talks Instagram. We're not as educational. We don't push out certain types of content because we know that they're going to connect much better coming from an individual therapist. So at the end of the day, it's a balancing act. I know a lot of clinic owners have concerns about their therapist kind of building up all this audience and then leaving, which is a valid concern. And that's something that you would have to, to think about strategically as a business owner and think about, is it worth the risk versus reward if that happens? And what else are you adding as a business owner from a value perspective that that's not going to happen? Like we've got six or seven therapists that have over 100K followers, you know, get sponsorships from products, all this sort of stuff. So we've been able to create them into those spaces and they've just put in the work of kept, you know, continuing educational content. And you know, we haven't lost one. And I think the real reason is because we're, we're working on something bigger and you know, painting visions for them that they can kind of keep progressing with the company. So I think it's a risk if, if people keep growing on their own personal brand and then the company is not growing, that's where you're gonna have some conflict. But just set the expectations early and um, make sure you're aware of, again, that risk versus reward. What would your advice be for clinics in terms of retaining their therapists? You know, recruitment and retention is always the number one challenge that a lot of one-off clinic owners have. And my advice is paint a bigger picture. And maybe it isn't moving to a second location. And that's always not the answer. But especially in the millennial demographic, like we need autonomy, we need a sense of purpose, and we need a sense of mastery where we're working towards something. And it's very challenging to do that if you are a small clinic with a couple therapists. And this isn't to put down small clinics, it's just the reality of it's, it's very challenging to be in that position. So the bigger thing, if you are the clinic owner in that position is start to think about how do you kind of create a little bit more of a pathway? And maybe this is a three, four, five year pathway. So your therapists don't get one or two years into their career and think, oh, is this it? And this is a conversation I have with every single therapist. They get to two years in the career, they've been treating nonstop, and then they start thinking, am I gonna do this for the next 30 years? So I think that's on us as business owners to create a little bit more of a structure. And I don't think you need to choose someone's career path for them, but if there is no sense of 
progression or no sense of we're working together towards something, then it's going to be very challenging to retain your therapist for more than a couple years at a time. You may have people that settle down and they're completely happy, but I'm finding, you know, the average age on our team is 28 years old right now. So we have a very millennial skewed team. And that's what I'm noticing from managing a team this large with you know, in that age range. And so you talked about retaining therapists mm-hmm. and how about recruiting them? So recruiting is interesting. I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm just going to post on job boards or, you know, reach out to the, the schools and everything. At the end of the day, if you look at sales, there's this term called ADA. So attention, interest, desire, action. And it's fine to put on job boards and all this stuff. And people might see it and they'll grab your attention. But if you don't have a brand, if you're not doing anything interesting in the space, if you're not differentiated from ABC or XYZ physiotherapy, why is that therapist going to come work for you? Sure, you might be able to pay them more, but at the end of the day, you have to look at recruiting therapists is marketing. And if you're not marketing, sure, you're marketing to your customers, but you also have to be marketing to the therapist and creating a story about why you are different and why it would make sense for them to come work with you. And the thing is, because talent is in short supply in this industry, it's not like there's hundreds of physios waiting to just try to find a job right now. Like you are competing in the market with other clinic owners. So be cognizant of that and make sure that you're not putting out just some boring job description that has no personality and no indication of of what your company is really trying to do or what it's about. And I think you'll have a better time recruiting. And what about any advice for clinics on when they should be hiring new therapists? Um, So we're big on tracking utilization percentage. I would say as your therapists are getting kind of that that 65 to 70% utilization rate, you should definitely be having another therapist on board. You always want to be looking at, especially in your prime time hours, are you turning down initials or are you not able to service the demand? If that's already happening, then you should have been hiring a month ago because there is a bit of a, an onboarding and also finding the right, with the right therapist, with the right culture fit, with the right skill set for your business, it can take time. So for us, we're kind of constantly hiring and maybe there's not an opportunity right now, but we keep people in the pipeline, build relationships. We actually bring prospective therapists out to some of our educational events for their teams. They get to know the team and it might be six months before we formally bring them on board. But if they're in the ecosystem, it's going to make your life a lot easier. But I would always look back to, are you turning down initials in prime time? And what's your utilization percentage? As soon as your other therapists are kind of getting to that 65, 70%, I think that's a good time to start hiring. And I know with MyODetox, you skilled it very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. How do you finance and scale a service-based business? So we've bootstrapped everything and we haven't taken on any investment at the parent level. And this has been a lot of strategy to scale a service-based business quickly. But the biggest tips I would say is you need to focus on the revenue generating activities. And too many people kind of play business and they think, oh, if we just get this business card just right, like tens of people are going to flock to us. And really focusing on getting the right people in the place, get them in the right positions, focus on utilization in terms of what's actually going to be driving to keep those therapists' schedules busy. And then from there, it's been very strategic. I I look at every single dollar we spend as a decision of strategy and how is that dollar going to then speed up the growth or stabilize the growth or anything like that. You know, scaling a service-based business is not necessarily more difficult than a product-based business other than, you know, you're not having exponential growth. But every single month, you should be seeing... Uh, a certain level of growth. And then from there, it's just being very intelligent with your next use of funds and making sure that as you're, you're growing, you're putting your money in the areas that are then going to 
come back and bring back more revenue and more fuel that's going to keep things going. So. At what point do you think that uh, clinics should be expanding? Is there anything they should have in place before they expand? Yes, systems and processes. <laughs> I see, uh, so I'm a consultant for certain clinics and when I go in and I see uh, you know, just a complete lack of systems. When you're relying on your people too much and you haven't given them, created kind of the tracks to run on, you're not ready to expand. And I've seen way too many businesses, whether in healthcare or other businesses, get in trouble because they try to take on too much before they have the infrastructure in place. And I've, you know, we've been very lucky because I've had great advisors and mentors who taught me that early in the game where I really had an appreciation for systems and trying to set things up. And that's, that's allowed us to be much more efficient as we've grown and not waste so much money trying to solve this as we're, as we're going. But the biggest thing is if you, if you don't have a, a predictable way that you're generating leads, if you don't have a predictable way that you're finding and hiring and recruiting talent, and if you don't have good uh, financial base to make sure that you can support the growth of multiple new businesses at a time, then you're not ready to expand. On the flip side, if you've been very stable, you have great talent, you know, you're reliably generating a lot of leads, and then you're mentally ready for a second location, and I think the only caution I would give people is every location you add adds a multiple of complexity. You know, going from one to two, that's okay. Going to two to five, completely different ballgame. Going from five to ten, again, things, the, the complexity changes dramatically. Like, there's issues that come up at five locations that you would not even think about it too. It's like, who's picking up the cash and putting it to the bank every week? Like, there's, there's all these little things that come up that you don't even think about. But for you as a business owner, I would say just be very mentally prepared to commit a lot of time and energy to solving those problems. And how do you maintain company culture when you're scaling? Culture is very organic and it's picking the right people. I think you don't necessarily create culture, but it's kind of a, a magical byproduct of putting the right people together and then also having them focus on the right things. So for us, we've really focused on getting the right people in place and just finding people that see the world as we do and that are trying to actually make an impact on the industry. And you know, you'll see anyone you talk to in our company, even though we're over 100 people deep right now, Every single person is like crazy engaged. They're so focused on what we're doing. And, and for us, because we put all these passionate people together, like you just don't survive in our company if you're not crazy engaged and passionate. And it's, it's interesting because I didn't set out trying to build this culture. It just over time came. And then sometimes I'm like, damn, like some of our staff is like more hype about this than I am. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's really cool to see when you put the right people together and have them focused on a bigger mission you know, beyond themselves, it's, it's pretty cool and it's very self-sustaining if you can keep up with the growth. What are the biggest challenges that you faced when expanding? Um, very candidly, I would say trying to not die <laughs> in terms of health, mental health, um, the amount of stress is immense, um, working every single waking moment. You know, if I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about work. It's, it's actually going through this process has uh, everyone always ask me like, how are you guys expanding so quickly and you know how are you doing this and it's it's because we made a very conscious decision that we have a window of opportunity we're going to expand quickly we know that it's going to have negative repercussion in every single area of our lives other than business and then we accepted that cost and i just think that there's a cost to everything so a lot of people ask me about work-life balance i'm like don't ask me about that because i'm not i'm not good with that and i i think as you as a business owner if you are looking to grow a business just understand that there's, there's a cost to everything in life and you have to be okay with that or not do it. And 
there is no right answer. It's, it's kind of comes down to what you want out of your life. Why did you choose to expand so quickly? I think that I didn't realize the amount of disruption that was available in this space until I was even a year into my detox. And I was just, you know, I think my business partner Van and I see the world very the same. There's, there's a lot of low quality healthcare being delivered right now. And it's just, it just frustrates us. And I think there's never going to be a time where we'll be able to do this again, where we got in the lead with social media. We've just, the amount of things that have gone our way, the amount of people that have come together on our team, just the amount of kind of wins. It feels like the world's conspiring for us right now. And when you're getting lucky like that, you either have to go all in or not. And for us, once we started, I feel like I'm in this tunnel right now that if I stopped, I feel like I wouldn't be fulfilling what we started this company to do. So now I'm in this tunnel and I just have to go to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're opening new locations, what marketing strategies do you focus on to gain traction? So as we've continued to open new uh, clinics, we've started to create a really strong pre-sale strategy. And our goal is not to have this kind of slow build up in a clinic, but it's to open it to kind of the, a tsunami and just then maintain that tsunami through everything. So we use every single method you can think of, whether it's direct mail, throwing a bunch of community events, treating all the business owners in the community, reaching out to local influencers, doing big social media blast. You know, the list is long and we, we really have refine this and I think as we're so we're opening a clinic in Los Angeles in a few months and as we're starting our pre-sales in the next few weeks for that I'm excited to test this into different markets but everything we don't say okay we're just going to do this mail out to let people know we're here or we're just going to do this launch event like we do everything and I think that's one of the reasons why we're able to build a clinic to a certain revenue point so quickly is that um, we don't really step like gingerly into it we just go all in and make sure our team our founding team at each clinic is also very important so when we open a new clinic, we want to make sure that we have the right people in place that are a bit scrappy and gritty and know that getting a business off the ground is going to be the first six months a messy procedure and we're going to be changing stuff all the time. And we've just been very lucky with the, the people that we found for our founding clinic teams as well. As a CEO of Myo Detox, how do you keep up with that learning curve of growing so quickly? Often I feel like it's just you just sprint as fast as you can and you're going to drop a bunch of balls and it's okay as long as you keep the important things going. But for me, I've been very lucky with having the right mentors and advisors. And I think probably the skill or the trait that served me really well is I'm just very curious. I ask a lot of questions and I just have no, I have no problem looking stupid. I have no problem asking the most basic question to people because I'm looking for greater understanding. And I know that if I have gaps in my knowledge, that's what's going to slow the company down. And I actually really attribute our growth will be hindered by me not being able to grow fast enough so i make it a big priority to surround myself with people that can push my learning and perspectives on things and you've already kind of answered this but where do you see myo detox over the next few years just continual expansion i think the two things that will hold our expansion back are finding enough of the right people and continually evolving our marketing methods so that's stuff that we're spending a lot of time on. And as we develop new people, you know, going into new markets is really exciting for me. I just love traveling and I love seeing different countries' perspectives on healthcare. And I hope that we can impact uh, you know, multiple countries in the future. And before we finish, we just have some rapid fire questions for you. Yeah. Uh, what are your top three books? Top three books, I would say 
Principles by Ray Dalio is my number one recommended book. The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber would be probably my top three for any person starting a business or just getting into this mindset of how to think about business would be great. And how about top three podcasts? I listen to all sorts of podcasts, depending on what I'm uh, kind of interested in at the time. I would say for some very general advice, Gary Vee is obviously very trending right now, so uh, get anything by Gary Vaynerchuk is interesting. I like Freakonomics Radio, it's quite interesting, just to get some different stories on, on the, the world. And then the third thing that is actually probably the most uh, important for any new manager or business owner is a podcast called Radical Candor. And it's all about how to give feedback, how to take feedback, how to be a good manager. And the people that run that podcast are kind of ex-Googlers and they're just very talented with how they communicate the information. So that's always a top recommendation. And top three software tools? Asana for project management, Slack for daily communication, and Google Apps for Business for kind of structuring the rest of your company. Biggest epiphany that changed your mindset? As a company grows, you as an individual contributor become much, much, much less important. And you then need to become a great leader of these individual contributors. And that's very challenging for me because I'm very detail-oriented, I'm very hands-on, I'm very in the trenches. So especially the last year, I've really had to force myself to back out of positions. And as you start promoting people into leadership positions, you need to give them the autonomy to do things their own way. And once I, that clicked for me and I was able to really pull myself back, uh, the business started growing even more quickly. Best advice you've ever given, been given? Best advice I've ever been given? Mm -hmm. Probably from my dad. If you're going to do it big, do it when you're young. <laughs> Before the kids in the mortgage. <laughs> and best advice you can give to a business owner? I would say the best advice I can give to a business owner is take at least one day a week to work on the business. I think there's too many clinic owners I speak to, they're treating every single day and thinking about growing the business is such an afterthought. You know, it's, it's a big desire of those, but they're not creating a schedule that supports that. So work on your business and not in your business. I know it's a very cliche thing and you know you hear this all the time, but it's amazing to me how many people don't do it. And I would say time block out a full day, you know, and if you can't do a full day, do a half day, shut your phone off. Like, you know, we don't, this isn't a crisis oriented business and you shouldn't have to pick up your phone every six seconds. So take the time to critically think and think deeply about your business and the next steps and think strategically. And I think that half day that you spend every week will then, you know, over time, create a much stronger business than if you're not doing that. And where can people find out more about you? So I am a little bit of a recluse because I don't have time to be on social that much, but Instagram, um, you can follow me at Scott Mark with two Ks. And that's probably where I put out most of my consistent information. Other than that, we'll see what comes up. We're probably going to be starting a bit more of a YouTube business series later this year and a few other projects. But for the time being, Instagram is the best place to find me. And then how about Myo Detox? Same thing. Myo Detox is very strong on Instagram. Um, we also run a online paper called Learn. So every week we're putting up articles on myodetox.com. Um, but you'll see us all over. But Instagram for sure is kind of our HQ right now. Okay. Thank cool. you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Functional First Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating on the iTunes store. And for more great business content for rehab professionals, visit cpaprivatepractice.ca.